Have you tried training methods that just didn't work? Do you feel that your pet is not getting his or her nutritional needs met? Are illnesses and bad behavior your daily norm? You're going to want to join me on The Pet Parenting Reset, where you'll hear interesting and informative interviews and get solutions to all your pet problems. I'm your host, Jessica L. Fisher. Well, hello there, you wonderful pet parent. Welcome to the Pet Parenting Reset with me. My name is Jessica. If you are new here, I'm a positive reinforcement dog trainer and pet parent coach. And here at the Pet Parenting Reset, we have different methods for pet parenting success. That's what we're all about. I'm so excited for you to join me on today's podcast because I'm talking about something very, very close to my heart. We're talking about my cat, Riley. So I'm going to give you a little bit of background about Riley, and then we're going to talk about a surgery that he had to have. Now, this happened back in 2015, and I have been journaling about this for a little while now because, well, I really started about a year after I was trying to keep all of my thoughts about what happened and what went on straight believe me you do not want to miss this episode and this is probably going to be like a series but i'll break them up so today's episode we are on episode number four of the podcast so i'm i'm so excited that we have made it this far i have so many wonderful listeners and i highly encourage you to follow the podcast and share with any pet parents in your life because That's the best way we can make a difference in pets' lives, right? Is by sharing the information. That's what I'm here for, making a difference with different ways (laughs) for pet parenting success. So my cat, Riley, he actually, most of my cats were just found. They were strays or they were born outside. Um, Yeah, so Riley and his litter mate, Machita, came to me back in 2008. My family and I were having a a big yard sale. So like my brother brought a bunch of stuff over, my sister brought a bunch of stuff over, my stepmom even brought some stuff over. And then of course I went through my house, we had this big yard sale and we were closing up on I think the second day. And we heard these little meows coming from the bushes and knew that there were little kittens over there. Their mom was there, but yeah, the kittens were already about 10 weeks old, which we found out when we took them to the vet the next day. And that was Riley and Machita. So they're amazing. I had no intention of keeping them originally. I wanted to, at the time, my house was full. I had a lot of cats already. I wanted to, you know, get all of their checkups, make sure they were all healthy and ready for adoption and to get them adopted out. I actually did get them adopted out at one point and it didn't work out, so they came back to me. And they've been with me ever since, and honestly, it was just meant to be. <laughs> and when all of this happened with Riley in 2015, which I'm getting ready to tell you about, I knew, like, if I, if I didn't already know that it was just meant to be, that they were meant to be mine, right then in that moment I knew that it that's what was supposed to happen they were supposed to be with me because 
you're gonna find out in just a little bit. What happened to Riley, I think, I think most cats would be uh, euthanized, unfortunately, because it's very expensive and a lot of people just don't even recognize the symptoms of it going in. So 2015, let's fast forward to 2015 and just two weeks prior, I lost my cat, Sam. My cat, Sam, was one of the best. I mean, all of my cats are wonderful. He really, like, ugh, I, I hadn't lost a pet in a very long time, and it was really hard. He was in the ICU for four days, I believe. Might have been five, going on five days. It was really, really hard on me, and I was... If I tell you I was on the struggle bus, <laughs> I'm, I'm making light of the situation. But right about two weeks after Sam passed away, Riley started exhibiting behaviors that I knew right away were cause for concern and immediate, like, let's get to the vet right now. So he started getting in and out of the litter box a lot. And nothing was in the litter box. So he would get in and then jump out, like not a normal just getting out of the litter box, but like jump out of the litter box and go hide. And then moments later, he would come and go into maybe another litter box, depending, because we have multiple litter boxes, of course. And he would be in there for a moment or two and jump out and go run and hide. And this happened for, honestly, probably about half of a day. I was like, I didn't it, like I realized it but I didn't realize it at first I was just like okay maybe he's constipated or you know we'll, we'll see what happens and then I realized throughout the better part of you know the morning and into the afternoon that literally nothing was in the litter box there wasn't even pee in the litter box so I was like you know what we need to get to the vet now so I called the vet and they're like yes you know bring him right now we went to the vet and something that I hadn't noticed before, I noticed in the carrier, because at the time I was using a coconut-based litter, so it was a dark brown. Don't use that anymore. And this is one of the reasons why. Uh, it was a dark brown, so I didn't notice that there was blood in Riley's urine. So when we got to the vet and I got him out of the carrier, the blanket that was in the bottom of the carrier had, it was like a little bit of pink right you know where he was so i knew right then i was like even before the vet came in i was like oh no this is really really bad so the vet checked him out his bladder was full and he said you know we're gonna go ahead and empty his like with a needle they emptied his bladder so that he would be a little bit more comfortable but he needed to be unblocked and they couldn't do it at the vet's office because he would need to stay overnight and so I had to take him to an emergency medical hospital, which I did. And at the time, like it was a whirlwind. Um, and I don't know if you've ever been in a situation like this. It doesn't have to necessarily be this situation. But what happened is uh, crystals were forming in his urine and they, the crystals were large enough that they actually blocked the urethra so he couldn't... Um, he, he couldn't pee like there nothing could get by so it was it was it was a whirlwind let me tell you so we took him to the emergency 
medical hospital, the, the veterinary hospital, and they we were there for hours before he even got seen. They prepped him for surgery and he had to stay overnight. So they had to make sure once he was unblocked, which was a, a surgery they had to perform, once he was unblocked, once they removed the crystals from the urethra, that he could urinate on his own, which is why he had to stay. Um, they wanted him to stay 24 hours to make sure that he could urinate on his own. The setting though, in that emergency veterinary clinic, and it's not something you think of, but I went back there to see him after he recovered from the, you know, after he woke up from the surgery, and the anesthesia wore off, and he was terrified because it was just a big room full of metal cages, and there were dogs barking and cats meowing, and a lot of the cats were hiding. He was not happy, obviously. And so he ended up, they, you know, they wanted it, they, their protocol is for him to stay 24 hours. They, they let him come home to me after 20 hours because he did urinate on his own and they could see how distressed he was in the environment. So it was, they, they just felt like he would be better off if he came home with me. And he was for a while um, until he blocked again a few days later. Now, when a cat is unblocked, that's something that happens, it happens. A lot of times, you know, I think the statistics aren't great for cats that have urinary blockages um, as far as how many cats are unblocked a year, how many cats ha have multiple blockages um, that are unblocked, how many cats that have a surgery that we're gonna talk about in just a moment that Riley had. I think the statistics are not great because all of this is really expensive and I think that, and I know from talking to numerous veterinarians and other veterinarians online and people online, a lot of cats are, are euthanized because the, here's the deal, if your cat is blocked and you don't have the surgery to get them unblocked, they will die. And like that's a really deep um, subject to have on a podcast. I get that, um, but it's the truth of the matter. They will die because the body isn't excreting all of the toxins that it's supposed to be excreting, and so uh, the body absorbs all of, reabsorbs all of those toxins, and it's 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 nasty. It's not pleasant. So one, you know, a few things could be happening. One is that people are not noticing the signs in their cat, so they um, might just pass away because they weren't, they didn't get treatment at all because, you know, their their owners didn't notice it, um, or that they're instead of getting unblocked, they're just euthanized because. Honestly, and it really sucks. It's cheaper to do it to do that. And if you can't unblock your cat, honestly, it is a more humane uh, thing for your because it's very it's a very painful situation to be in, very uncomfortable, very painful. So if if you are unable to unblock your cat, then euthanasia is unfortunately just more humane. Um, so I think that's a couple of the reasons why statistics may not be accurate as far as blockages and cats being unblocked and how many times. So I think there's, you know, a lot of probably misinformation out there because I think the, st the statistics just aren't accurate. 
So a few days later, Riley blocked again. And um, of course I noticed it much quicker this time. I was already like, ah, oh my goodness. So we went back and we actually went to, I, I was in the process, I switched to a new veterinarian um, for a lot of, of reasons that didn't even talk about in this video. Um, a lot having to do with, with Sam and um, his care, but anyway. <laughs> so we had a new, a new veterinarian and she says, look, we need to get him unblocked. She actually can unblock him. She, she said she's, she's gonna go ahead and unblock him. But here's the deal. This happened within a few days so it's going to happen again. And the best course of action would be to get him a surgery called a perennial urethostomy. And I hope I pronounced that right because most veterinarians will just call it the PU surgery for short, which is perennial urethostomy. So basically, uh, a perennial urethostomy is actually removing the penis of the cat. And that way, the urethra, the urethra, if I can say that, urethra <laughs> um, widens actually a little bit. They actually, during the procedure, um, widen the urethra just a tiny bit, and then it can evacuate without having to go through um, the much smaller area, which would be through the penis. So. I opted to have, you know, it was it was a really, really difficult decision, not because I didn't want to do it, but because um, financially it was very difficult. I had just gone through Sam being in the ICU for like four days after a long, I mean, we, we were at the vet with Sam a lot. He was not doing well. He had cancer and he was on a lot of medications. So there was a lot of money spent um, just two weeks, almost three weeks now prior with Sam. So uh, it, was, it was difficult, but my husband and I, fortunately he was incredibly supportive of the whole thing. And we decided to go ahead and get the surgery for Riley that he, you know, he deserved it. So we went through with it. And then, then we had to find a surgeon that could do it. Um, not all veterinarians, can do this surgery. So it took a couple of days to find a surgeon who could perform this surgery um, in our little area, which we, we weren't in a little area, we were in San Diego at the time. And so we got it scheduled and you would think that everything would be wonderful <laughs> after that. Um, but immediately after it was definitely not wonderful. So during the surgery, um, we came to find out later on there was not enough support staff with the surgeon and Riley and they there was they, nobody was paying attention to whether he was breathing or not basically and for at least a minute from what I could gather he was not breathing he he died during surgery so they resuscitated him um, begrudgingly from what I understood, the surgeon did not want to go forward with the surgery. She was freaked out. And my vet, the primary care veterinarian said, what is the point if we don't finish this up? Let's resuscitate him, finish the surgery, 
we, we've got to do this. So fortunately, my veterinarian, who I had only been with for like a week <laughs> at this point, um, was, you know, in that moment, Riley's biggest cheerleader, thank goodness, and convinced the surgeon to finish the surgery. So he got the surgery, thank goodness, yay, he got the surgery. Um, unfortunately, they released him to me. He should have been released to um, an, an emergency medical hospital. I didn't know what had happened. I, I was like within an hour, they told me what had happened and he was home with me. Um, he woke up but he was not at all responsive to anything. He was having seizures all throughout the night. I rushed him back. I met the surgeon back at an emergency veterinary hospital first thing in the morning where um, they put him on supportive care and they gave him medication to reduce the swelling in his brain. So he was there for another day roughly and they, for, it worked. Fortunately, he went a long enough period of time without a seizure that he was allowed to come home to me, but he couldn't walk and he lost his vision. I didn't know at the time that he had lost his vision. This was something that we learned over time, um, but we worked with him over about, it took about a month of working with him. Um, he would eat on his own. We had to give him fluids initially because he wasn't drinking anything. Um, but fortunately, my vet showed me how to give him fluids at home. So we had supportive care at home, which was great. I didn't want him to be in the hospital any longer than he had to be. And uh, yeah, so he would like flop over on his side uh, when he had to, he would try to get to the litter box to use the litter box. So we had puppy pads down underneath of him and I worked with him. Um, I would hold him up and help him move his, his little legs underneath of him and we, we worked on it and worked on it and worked on it and we didn't know if he was ever going to regain the ability to walk until one day <laughs> we went to the vet's office just for a routine checkup after everything that had happened and we were talking about his quality of life and the vet said, you know, Jessica, he may never walk again and it's really up to you um, to decide what his quality of life is. You may, if you choose to euthanize him, I wouldn't blame you, it is a personal decision. And I think he heard that because within 24 hours, he was up on his feet walking again. It wasn't perfect. We had to still work on it for a while, but he was determined to walk again and he did and it was it was a fumble for a little while for sure but he did he did it he was so strong and so brave and i'm just so like amazed with him all the time um, but we did learn over time uh, that he did lose his vision through all of this and the reason that i'm telling you this story is because kibble is what did this to my cat and kibble is what is doing this to a lot of people's cats and my story is a little bit different um in that he actually you know there was a lot of extra that happened with him during the surgery i have talked to plenty of other people who have had the surgery for their cat and this you know didn't happen the surgery went well and the cat came through came out the other side 
you know, perfectly fine. And that's wonderful. And I'm thrilled for those cats, especially because their um, pet parent decided that they were worth it. And they are. Each and every one of them is worth it. It's just a matter of what you can, what you can do and what you're not able to. I like, it happens. I understand. That's not the point of this story. The point of this story is that kibble is what did this to Riley. And kibble is what is doing this to so many cats. And yeah, it's not a natural diet for a cat. It's not biologically appropriate. It does not have, it is entire, it has way too many carbs in it. Cats don't have a nutrient requirement for carbohydrates. And there is not near enough moisture for our cats. Our cats need to eat a very highly moisture-rich, moisture-dense diet. It's a requirement, and kibble is not meeting that requirement for our cats, and it's causing a lot, a lot of damage and unnecessary medical issues for our cats and so that really is the point of this story. Um, we're going to talk more about kibble in later episodes, but I wanted to give you a background. At this point in 2015, I had already switched my dogs over. They were no longer eating kibble, so I knew. I just hadn't gotten my cats off of kibble yet. They were not exclusively eating kibble. They were getting wet food as well, but their primary diet was still kibble. And um, Riley was definitely what we call a kibble-addicted kitty. I had a really hard time transitioning him, but we've made it. We're, uh, you know, a few years later now, six years, almost six years later, he is doing wonderfully. Um, he has adapted so well. He amazes me all the time with what he can do and how he just doesn't seem to have any limits to what he can do. Um, and I'm, I, I wouldn't, I, I can't say that I would change anything because I wouldn't have learned anything if I do. I wish Riley didn't have to go through this and I wish all of the other cats out there that have gone through this didn't have to go through this. Uh, but that is kind of the moral of the story is that it's not just about feeding a better diet for feeding a better diet's sake. It's about the health of our cats and how serious some of these conditions can be and how much longer of a life they could have if they ate a more biologically appropriate diet. So with that, before, um, without getting too much into the whole story of kibble, which we will talk about on a future episode, because it is, in, uh, in case you can't tell, I'm very, very passionate about it for many reasons. In fact, I might even tell you Claire's story, which was my first dog that I ever adopted on my own. Um, and she was the very first reason <laughs> that I looked into alternate diets for my dog. Um, it just took me a long time to get to my cats, unfortunately, and I think that's how it is. I hear that story so many times with so many pet parents. They are, they, they completely change their dog's diet and routine, and their dog is so much healthier, and they research all the supplements, and you know, they their dog is 
eating better than anyone else in the house and then something happens later on and that light bulb goes off it says i should be doing this for my cat too i don't know exactly what it is that causes all of us to go through this same path but that's what's happening and that is definitely what happened with me too so stick around if you're not already make sure you are following the podcast whichever platform you choose to listen on make sure you hit that follow button i know on spotify there's also a bell so that once you hit the follow button there's like a little bell next to it and if you click that bell it will let you know like spotify will let you know when a new episode comes out so i hope you follow um there's going to be so much more wonderful information so many more great stories as well and hit the bell so that whichever podcast network you prefer to listen to um, make sure they're notifying you every time a new podcast comes up also if you prefer you can also watch the podcast on youtube and rumble just search the pet parenting reset of course you can also find it on my website jessicalfisher.com Thank you so much for being here with me today. I do also want to remind you to join the family. Now, if you're this is the first podcast you're listening to, it's not a reminder. It's the very first time you're hearing about it, but join the family over on Patreon. There's so much wonderful content going up on Patreon and exclusive content that I'm not posting anywhere else. It is a family over there. It is a safe space. We talk about all sorts of things, mostly about pets, but sometimes I post about other things too <laughs> because we're all human after all. So we are multifaceted. I can't wait to see you and uh, welcome you into the family over on Patreon. Thank you so much for being here. Until the next ep episode, give your dogs and cats some hugs and kisses. Be well, and I'll see you next time. Oh, oh, oh.